Come be a part of Doc Holliday's Rock Splitting Politics with your host, Dr. Ed Holliday. Hear the voices of liberty speaking all across America. Doc Holliday provides thought-provoking interviews and commentary about the issues and actions that are afflicting this country and what we need to do to get America back on track. Get fired up. Get inspired. Get on board with Doc Holliday's Rock Splitting Politics right now. And here we go. Once again, that's the sound of rock cracking. You've got Doc Holliday's Rock Splitting Politics right here on webtalkradio.net. That's webtalkradio.net. Glad to have you. I'm your host, Dr. Ed Holliday, and you're listening to us again in the heat of July. And uh, it's it's getting hot in politics in the state of Mississippi because there is a uh, election coming up, primary election, and Democrats and Republicans going to the polls August the 6th, which is... Uh, not very uh, far away so candidates are getting in a frenzy voters are really starting to take notice and who are they going to vote for well one thing in the state of mississippi it's uh well known that there's uh, there's going to be a battle for the governorship now usually you think well mississippi's a red state but that's why this is an important election because democrats around the country want to see if Mississippi can turn blue for the governor. If they can, then guess what? They think they have a great shot to beat Donald Trump in 2020. So 2019 elections are important, trying to get gauge uh, like a canary in a mine where um, can, can the Democrats actually win a red state? And they, they really believe they can this year in Mississippi. And a lot of money is getting lined up to throw into the Mississippi governor's race for a Democrat at Jim Hood. But he's got several opponents in the primary. He's estimated to win that primary. And then right now he's being real quiet because what he has to run on as a conservative, calling himself a, quote, conservative Democrat in many ways. And if he talks about that, he can't get by the Democratic primary. So he's pretty much being quiet on most ends. And then on the Republican side, there's three candidates running. And last week we had uh, Robert Foster on who made national news about the Billy Graham rule. If you don't know about that or don't understand what I just mentioned, go back and listen to last week's show with uh, Mississippi's governor candidate for the Republican nomination of robert foster and this on this week's show we're going to have the lieutenant governor tate reeves and he's going to we're going to talk to him in just a couple minutes and then we're also on the second half of the show we'll have uh the former chief justice of the mississippi supreme court bill waller jr and he's also running for governor so uh we had last week we had robert foster this week we're having tate reeves and we'll have Bill Waller Jr. So I hope our Mississippi listeners especially will pay close attention. But I think everybody around the country is going to enjoy listening to these candidates to see what's going on, what's important for uh, Republicans in Mississippi as they decide who will be their nominee. Now, before we get into that, we talk about executive uh, decisions and 
presidential decisions, and we, we do so much on the presidential races, and that's why I want to cover this, what's going on in the Mississippi governorship, because, uh, like I said, it can be a, a precursor of what goes on in 2020. And there's a lot of Democrats that really want to try to take out Mississippi as a red state. But George Will. Now, George Will has always been a – I love to read him as a columnist. You know, we had him as a guest on our show back uh, in the 2015 year of getting ready for the Republican nomination. He he uh, made some comments for us. And I've always liked to read his articles very in depth he's very intellectual and he's also a never trumper you know and i he's disappointed me in being a never trumper but he cannot stand president donald trump even though he's been a, a determined conservative and conservative thought in the newspapers across the country but he had a article called presidential candidates are so silly uh, a couple of weeks ago <laughs> and he's talking about the Democratic candidates. I think he is pulling for the Democrat, but he can't find one that is uh, responsible, I don't believe. But he, he talked about Miss uh, Kamala Harris running for a president, a senator from California. And he was talking about how, how can she go on and say that uh, she's for Medicare for all and then say you know, that means 217 million people get private insurance. She said, you know, take it away from them. And then she tries to waffle on that. And he's laughing about the way, how can you determine that you won't vote for somebody who's just waffling all the time and can't even get a coherent answer exactly what she wants? Does she want Medicare for all? Or does she want to rip away the 217 million people who get private health insurance? So, he talked about that, and then he also, that's why he said presidential candidates are so silly, but he talked about Joe Biden, who's, who seems to want to stand by its principles, wants to stand by uh, things that he said in the past, but then he was hammered by Kamala Harris about busing issued at a way he supported back in the 1970s, and, and then it didn't even have a good answer for that. And he basically got ambushed on the stage. Is he ready to be president? But that's not it. That's not all that's silly as far as George Will. George Will was talking about that uh, for 40 years that Joe Biden, former Vice President Joe Biden, has supported the Hyde Amendment, which, of course, keeps federal funding from being used for abortions. And it was... Uh, almost across America everybody said yes we don't need to use federal money for abortions and that's what uh, Vice President, former Vice President Biden has always stood up and been a part of the Hyde Amendment and for it and then, but now running for president all of a sudden his, he's changed his tune so has his values changed George Will saying yes they have you know if you can't stand up for something you've been for for 40 years, how are you going to be president of the United States? But then it goes even, this is the silliest thing that he put in his article. There is a, a Massachusetts uh, congressman, uh, Representative Seth Moulton, and he's running for president. He's one of those you had not heard of, but he's running for president, Democratic primary. And in, uh, when the Supreme Court came down and held it, the partisan gerrymandering is not something they were going to deal with and not something they were going to decide that went for the courts, the Supreme Court said. 
he tweeted out, this Moulton, Representative Moulton, tweeted out, quote, make no mistake, the partisan gerrymandering of the uh, Supreme Court of the United States just allowed is also racial gerrymandering, modern-day Jim Crow. Just look at what happened with Stacey Abrams' uh, last cycle in Georgia, unquote. You know, and Stacey Abrams, if you don't remember, she lost the governor's race in the state of Georgia. And now he's saying it's racial gerrymandering. And that's why George Will laughs in his face and in the face of all these liberals who have no intellectual ability and they're running for president. Why is it so funny? If you get it if you know what gerrymandering is. Gerrymandering is drawing up districts within your state. She ran for a statewide office. Gerrymandering has nothing to do, nothing to do with her getting beat. Absolutely nothing. It is a joke, just like all these presidential candidates running for the Democratic primary. There's joke after joke after joke. George Will's an ever-Trumper, and he's not impressed. This group of 22 Democrats are minus one or plus one. Can't ever tell. Sort of like the waves coming in and out of the ocean. You don't know how many to count. But i tell you somebody who's not a joke. He's running for governor of Mississippi, and we got him on the line right now. Let's talk to Tate Reeves, Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves. Well, Doc, it's great to be on your show, and I, I look forward to uh, answering whatever questions uh, you have for me. Well, I know you want to be the next governor of the state of Mississippi. One, one person one time told me is uh, a good leader, a governor or a president, is something like a piano player. They know the notes to play, and, and, and not only do they know how to play the notes, they know the rhythm, and they can make beautiful music if you get the right person in office. Now, I, I don't know if you're a piano player, but I do know that you got a lot of ex- experience. So tell me, how do you ex- expect that experience to uh, help you be the best governor you can be? Well, well, Doc, thank you. I, I will tell you, if, if my ability to get elected was dependent upon my ability to play the piano, I would be in deep trouble. <laughs> well, but, um, I would, too. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I will tell you, I think um, that what the experience that I have uh, brings uh, a wealth of opportunity for the state because of the fact that Mississippi is headed in the right direction. We just finished our fiscal year on June 30th, so Sunday before last, and in that fiscal year, we actually grew state revenues uh, by 5.5% year-over-year. The reason that's the case is because we've got the lowest unemployment rate in the history of our state today. We've got more people working today than any time in the history of our state. And we actually have over 80,000 more people working today than we were working eight years ago when I got elected lieutenant governor. We're in the best financial shape Mississippi's ever been in. We're in the best fiscal shape Mississippi's ever been in. So it's, it's imperative that we uh, elect a leader uh, that has the ability to take Mississippi to our full potential, but also one that recognizes that we're headed in the right direction because, of a, because conservative policies work. It works on the national level with President Trump. It's working on the state level with Governor Bryant and myself. Well, you, you made a point there that a lot of people in Mississippi are not aware of. I know for years it took uh, my lifetime to see Republicans uh, take control of the Mississippi legislature and the governor's seat. And then we did. We had a, we had a liberal in the, uh, in the White House. 
And it's just really the last couple of years has it come in sync where we had Republican leadership in Mississippi and uh, a Republican in the White House. So these numbers look good. There's one thing, though, I, I had a person ask me, and, and you might be able to explain this to our listeners, uh, the rainy day fund that uh, has been built back up. And some people say, well, if you keep building a rainy day fund in, we got problems here in Mississippi where do you stop putting money in the rainy day fund uh, every year? And if you do get it filled up to a certain point, what good does that do for the state of Mississippi? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I'll tell you, when I walked into the door in January of '04, Mississippi had $13 million in our rainy day fund. Now, Doc, I'll tell you, $13 million in my personal checking account is a whole lot of money. But $13 million, when you run a $20 billion a year operation that has taken over this, really is just nothing more than chump change. Wow. And so we, we're pleased with the fact that over the last 15 years, because of conservative fiscal policies, we're going to be able to end the fiscal year this year with approximately $500 million in our rainy day fund. Now, I will tell you that um, the Mississippi state law says that the rainy day fund is full once we get to 10% of our annual operating budget, our annual general fund operating budget is approximately $6 billion. And so we're, we're literally probably 85 to 90% full right now. Uh-huh. What that allows us to do, though, is it allows us to make investments in things that we need to invest in. If we didn't have a rainy day fund that was at the level that it's at, there's no way that I could have that, that we could have agreed to, to uh, transfer monies from our general fund into um, road and bridge maintenance, for instance. We're going to spend 1.1 billion dollars in additional monies to fix roads and bridges around the state over the next five years. That's about 225 million dollars a year more going to uh, public infrastructure. Public infrastructure is a core function of government. It's something that we need right. to spend more money on. But because we're fiscally responsible, because we have those monies in the rainy day fund, we can now direct more of our recurring revenue into things that need to get fixed. Well, see, I, you, you explained that better than I've heard anybody ever explain it. And I, and hopefully you can get that point uh, across, too, because I know a lot of Mississippians are wondering about the rainy day fund and if it ever gets filled up and why do we keep putting money in it. But you just uh, told the reason why once you get that uh, – a percentage in there and and you're near and you're getting very close to that so that really gives a shot in the arm to everybody in mississippi and for the future too well fiscal policies that are conservative benefit everybody there's no way we could have invested 70 plus million dollars a year going forward every year into the future in teacher pay raises if we weren't fiscally if we weren't fiscally where we needed to be there's no way we could invest uh, the money that we're investing in ensuring that the retirement system is is um, fiscally sound, were it not for the fact that our, our economy is growing, our revenues are growing, our fiscal balance sheet is in a good spot, our income statement is in a good spot, and because of that, we're able to invest in things like teacher pay increases. We're able to invest in more money in roads and bridges, et cetera. Well, now, uh, one of the things, when you brought it up, the road and bridges, that's a very big concern not only fixing what we have, but having a vision of what we need for a, you know, the 21st century. We, we know we got, uh, 
uh, car manufacturers, got Toyota, got Nissan, got uh, these plants that depend on four-lane highways, interstate highways. And so where do you see uh, the vision of our, our roads not only being maintained but being able to grow into uh, the 21st century? Well, clearly we got to maintain what we got. It's a foolish investment if you don't maintain what you've already built. But we've got to make some strategic investments that lead to job creation in certain areas. I'll give you an example. Up in your old neck of the woods in uh-huh. Tippecanoe, County, we've got a large uh, Ashley Furniture facility in Tippecanoe County that's just south there, Ripley, and and we need to we need to invest in Highway 15 from from um, really the state line all the way down to the county line but certainly right. from Ripley down to uh, the county line to make sure that we, they can get their goods and products to market. And so when when I get elected, we're going to work hard to, to have uh, not one economic plan for the state, but nine different economic plans for each region of the state. And within those nine uh, economic uh, development plans for each region, part of the plan has to be how are we going to develop infrastructure to make sure that, that every uh, small business, every big business throughout the state has the ability and the infrastructure to get their product to market. Well, that that sounds like a great vision. I know it won't uh, uh, happen by just one person, but I know Ronald Reagan always said, uh, quote, there is no limit to the amount of good you can do if you don't care who gets the credit. That's right. Uh, and so I... My next question is, how do you bring your leadership skills? You've been a state treasurer for eight years, lieutenant governor for eight years. How do you bring the skill level to work with not only Republicans, but also Democrats and independents? How do you utilize what you've discovered and learned on the job to, again, advance the state of Mississippi? Well, I will tell you, I think that's that's very important uh, that our next governor has the ability to to work with with people from all regions of our state, from all uh, backgrounds of, in our state, and quite frankly, from all political affiliations in our state. Uh, when I got elected lieutenant governor, I met with every single member of the, of the Senate. I met with all 52 members. I met with Republicans. I met with Democrats. I met with people from the coast, and I met from, with people from the hill country. And what I told every single one of them is that I wanted them to be working on issues that were important to them because I think we'd get the best product out of the state capitol if, if they were working on issues that were important to them and if they understood that I was going to listen to uh, what they believe uh, was in their best interest of their constituents. Now, at the end of the day, somebody's got to make a decision. And over the last eight years, a lot of times that's been uh, me and, and my leadership team. And, and sometimes we made the right decisions and sometimes we haven't. But we've always made the decision that we believe to be in the best interest of all Mississippians. And that's what I'm committed to do, and that's what I will do uh, in the next eight years as governor. Well, uh, Tate, one last question. appreciate your time here. But I, uh, it, the young people across Mississippi, uh, the young people who are in school now or some of them just graduating, what can you tell them to expect as if you become governor and, and you're the governor of the state of Mississippi, what can you encourage them and give them hope of why they need to stay in Mississippi? Well, uh, Ely and I, my wife Ely and I both grew up in small Mississippi towns. We both went to Mississippi public high schools. We graduated with the Mississippi colleges, and then we graduated from college, and we got Mississippi jobs. 
I want every young person, my three little girls and, and, and everyone else out there as kids and grandkids to have those same opportunities that we have. That's, in fact, the reason I'm running for governor, because I know that we need a leader that can take Mississippi to our full potential. We've got to be willing to invest in our downtown areas in small communities and large communities throughout Mississippi. There's so many millennials. That's where they want to live. We've got to understand that sometimes a lot of them don't necessarily want to take a car to work. They want to ride an elevator. We've got to have downtown areas that are safe, that provide jobs, uh, that have a high quality of life. And that's something that I'm committed to making sure that we get done. Well, I thank, I thank you for your time, and uh, we appreciate you coming on here at Doc Holliday's Rock Splitting Politics, and uh, good luck on the campaign trail. Thank you, Doc. Have a great day. Look forward to seeing you soon. Right. That's the lieutenant governor of the state of Mississippi running for uh, the Republican nomination, and right now I just want to remind you, you're listening to Doc Holliday's Rock Splitting Politics. You're listening to us right here on webtalkradio.net. That's webtalkradio.net, and uh, we got some new listeners coming on. I want you to invite you to go back and listen to the archive shows, and uh, especially those in the state of Mississippi. If you want to go back and listen to Robert Foster interview ahead of him last week's show, and but I do want to let your friends and neighbors know. Some of you listening to us for the first time, let others know that you can uh, tune in right on uh, internet radio. Uh, just uh, click on for Doc Holliday's Rock Splitting Politics. We get a new show up every Monday morning and uh, covering national news, and now we're pinpointing a little bit on Mississippi just because it's an important election before 2020. And I do want you to understand that uh, our next guest coming up is uh, uh, Bill Waller, Jr. His father was the governor of the state of Mississippi in the early 70s, and he has just retired from the Supreme Court. He was chief justice there when he retired to the Mississippi Supreme Court. And before we get him on, I just want to remind you, you do have a book called Bedrock Truth, written by me and Dr. Alveda King, Dr. Alex McFarland, called Bedrock Truth. And if you want that book, we'll be glad to get it to you. You can buy that book at my website. And if you go on the front page, you'll see that uh, the cover of the book there. And just press on that, and it'll take you to Doc Holliday, uh, docholiday.org so uh, check that book out and other books you can buy we appreciate you buying them books helps keep us on the air and we'll be glad to get those out to you now without further ado let's get on Bill Waller Jr. right here on Doc Holiday's Rock Splitting Politics welcome to Doc Holiday's Rock Splitting Politics we got Bill Waller Jr. on the phone now and uh, Bill I know you're running for governor Republican primary and tell me what exactly that you decided to make the decision to run for governor. Doc, it's great to be with uh, all my friends and family and relatives in the in the Tupelo area. But it really it really was a very simple thing in in the sense of the word. Once I put my retirement notice in, I started getting calls and letters, and people came to see me. And I, I looked at the situation of where we were and what the plans going forward were. Uh, for the other candidates, we studied it. My wife and I prayed about it, and and we we were just concerned as parents and grandparents about the future of the state, and and it really came down to three issues, and uh, those being uh, education, health care, and our roads and bridges. There, obviously, there's a lot of other uh, moving parts for our law enforcement, border security. There's a lot of other things, obviously. 
you know, you're right in the middle of this race, and I know next week I believe uh, a debate with all three candidates in the Republican primary. And one of the things that uh, has, I guess, jumped out in the last couple of weeks, one of your opponents uh, made national news talking about a Billy Graham rule and and uh, not letting a reporter ride with him unless she had a chaperone. And then uh, I think you've come forward, and, and you've made national news. I don't know if you've noticed it, but you're all over the country they're talking about the second government candidate for governor of mississippi uh going by the billy graham rule so it w- wanted you explain uh the billy graham r- what you've used it in the past and uh do you think that's uh something that's uh good for your campaign uh yes and let me let me preface that saying that if anybody anywhere that wants to see me can see me uh anytime that, that we can set it up in a convenient and i i've, I've always been accessible as a uh, where whether it's in the National Guard or, or whatever it's in. So I, I follow the same uh, principles and rules I have in, in my whole life, whether it's uh, been in the in the National Guard, whether it's been at the Supreme Court as a municipal judge, as an attorney. Uh, I think that uh, the prudent thing to do, uh, particularly in the society today, is make sure there's transparency, make sure that there's public confidence in what's going on. And uh, it's a very, very, very simple thing. Uh, particularly as you uh, as you move up in government, I think having uh, a staff person present, uh, particularly in, in in meetings involving uh, business or, or or legal things or contracts, and and uh, I don't I've never made it an issue. I've never prevented anybody from seeing. But I always want to do it in a non-threatening, open environment that everyone feels comfortable in, and it's uh, and, and that's the way I do business and. Uh, Billy Graham, uh, I think, made the rule very popular that uh, he would not be in a in a room or a, a setting that's even semi-private without uh, without someone else present, where there's someone of the opposite sex. I think that's very simple and something that uh, can be done without any fanfare. Something that can be handled without making it a uh, an issue. I think it's something that can be done in a uh, comfortable, non-threatening way, and that's the way I've always done business, and it's never been an issue uh, in any part of my 67 years of my life. But that's the way uh, way I do business, and and I don't like uh, forcing or making issues where there's no issues. Well, uh, I think you just put that uh, front, and forward, and center, and, and the fact that you've done it and practiced it your your entire life is not something new. And for our listeners who don't know, uh, of course, you uh, were the uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court in the state of Mississippi, and you've retired from that, but you also had many years of service in the National Guard, and I know uh, some of my friends that have uh, spoken well of you, that you've really made a good name in uh, your leadership role with the National Guard. So that's when you come to leadership roles, this is something that's not new to you. And sometimes people say, well, what? Why would somebody like Bill Waller Jr. want to step right into the governor's role? But it's something that uh, you feel like you've been prepared for. Is that right? Oh, that's absolutely. And I and I I'm glad you brought up the National Guard because I, I served uh, several years on the staff of the 155 uh, Armored Brigade. There, uh, uh, General T. K. Moffat and I were battalion commanders in 155 at the same time. I commanded a second tank, and he commanded first tank. And I think that. Uh, uh, part of the reason I think it prepares me is I have these relationships all over the state through the military, and 
And uh, as we all know, there's going to be a tornado, there's going to be an ice storm, there's going to be a hurricane, there's going to be some other type of national emergency. Uh, already very familiar with the framework of our uh, first defenders with the support provided that can be provided by the Mississippi Emergency Management uh, Agency, by the National Guard, and, and I can respond with that. And not only can I respond and know how to do that, I know the people in the places that will be there with me. So I think that's that's an important piece that uh, that uh, that I have that unique uh, opportunity and experiential base to move from. Well, uh, I appreciate you explaining that to our listeners. Now, one thing that uh, we won't get back, I know we don't have a long time, but the, uh, you talk about uh, health care and, uh, and roads and bridges and education. And we know the governor in Mississippi, you're not a, a whoever becomes governor won't be a dictator and you can't wave a magic wand and it happens. So you got to know how to work with people. You got to be able to build relationships. And you, you've shown through, uh, your leadership in the different areas we talked about. But now, how do you expect to work with the Mississippi legislature, which over years has uh, driven a lot of governors crazy, I guess, as far as what they want to get done and what uh, the legislature and both the Senate and the House want to do. And and sometimes they, they can't get their act together. So what makes uh, – how can you tell Mississippians who are trying to decide who to vote, how can you tell them – Hey, I'm the one that can put people in room and and get things done. Well, that's a that's an excellent question, Doc. And I think my background on the Mississippi Supreme Court, uh, 21 years, the last 10 as Chief Justice. Well, Chief Justice is a very important position, but the uh, truth of the matter, and most of the issues that we decide, that we resolve that we make initiatives on, that we make decisions on, uh, is a is a group decision. So uh, I can only uh, carry forward policy or make decisions uh, that without bringing on at least four other justices. And I think that, I, that, that my long experience on the court, I understand collaborative decision-making. I understand a leadership with peers. And I think that's a very important piece uh, is uh, – uh, from the time I stepped on the court, I've been involved in, in legislative matters, whether it's uh, completing the Supreme Court building, uh, the dedication of the new building, uh, the bicentennial when we had uh, Chief Justice John Roberts with us, uh, the uh, the adoption of of an electronic court system for the state that costs taxpayers no money. Uh, I understand the legislative process, the budgets, working with people, committee chairs, uh, supervising uh, elected, appointed, and and employed uh, personnel. And I think that's a decision piece that 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 we need to have as a chief. We need a chief executive that's a a salesman for the state. We need a chief executive that wants to work with people at all levels of government, at all levels of life. That has an open door policy. That wants to do uh, what is the best from an from an economic standpoint. Uh, from a fulfillment standpoint, I want opportunities in, for our Mississippians. I want to stop the brain drain. Uh, I want to have uh, work right here in Tupelo that people can walk out of high school into and, and have productive lives here without, uh, for those that don't want to go to college or don't, uh, that don't need to go to college. And so that's, that's, that's what Bill Waller Jr. wants to see, wants to institute, wants to be a part of. So, uh, my whole life has been uh, in a in a in a collaborative working with people, and I want to put those skills to work right here. Thank you, Bill Waller Jr. And 
And he just uh, told our Mississippi listeners uh, why he thinks people should vote for him for governor. And you heard Tate Reeves earlier, and I hope you'll listen to both of those again. Tell your friends and neighbors, especially our listeners in Mississippi, to uh, to tune in to Doc Holliday's Rock Splitting Politics. He'll put a link up to this show. Let them hear uh, both uh, Tate Reeves and both uh, Bill Waller Jr. And uh, give them a link to last week's uh, archive show with uh, Robert Foster. And so I know our people listening across the country, sometimes you think, well, why we delve so much into the Mississippi governor's race? Well, I want you to understand there's politics going on, and there's, they are um, juxtapositioning themselves, the the national parties. And they're, they're going to get involved in Mississippi. We'll keep you posted. The August 6th is the Republican primary and the Democratic primary. So we'll keep you posted on that. And next week, uh, infrastructure around the country. Senator Chuck Schumer early on said we can work on the infrastructure bill. They have not. And the president, Trump, he does want an infrastructure bill, but I don't see one coming around. Why do we need one? Well, we're going to talk about infrastructure and roads, and uh, we'll talk about it on next week's show. So until then, remember to like our uh, Facebook page. Go there, Dr. Ed Holliday's Rock Splitting Politics, and God bless you, and God bless America. Thanks for joining us today, and remember to listen again next week for another edition of Doc Holliday's Rock Splitting Politics. You can order Ed's new book, Bedrock Truths, by clicking on the book cover right in front of you on the screen, or visit DocHolliday.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week.